What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is your mindset. To master it, uh, to master your behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. So here we are, guys, on episode 34. Last week, episode 33, I spoke with Emma Hendry from Australia. And Emma was the first female guest that I've had on. And it was highly appropriate given it was my birthday, uh, my, my daughter's birthday. And it was also a day uh, or two after Emma had just been awarded the top uh, 100 women in business in Australia or something of that nature. So um, this week I have a new guest, um, but before I get into that, I'm just going to give you some of the updates. First of all, I wanted to let you know that I'm uh, in the process of putting together a boot camp, like a, a day, one day or a half day boot camp that will take place sometime over the Christmas break. And um, so you won't have to kind of take time off of work or whatever. It'll be probably um, possibly a few days after the new year or into the just after the new year or just before the new year. So anyway, I haven't put the I haven't set the date yet because I'm going to be directing you guys through the show notes to my new meetup group. And the idea is that you guys would maybe sign up to that group and then follow it and um, any kind of course or boot camp or event that I'm putting on, you guys will be the first to know in there. I will also, of course, let you know through the newsletter, which has yet to be put out, but I do have a lot of emails assembled now from a lot of you guys signing up. So thank you for that. The purpose of the boot camp is a combination of pretty much everything you've heard in the podcast to date. I'm going to be going over the mindset and all of that good stuff. Then I'm going to be going over the um, some of the best deals that I did and how I went about them and, you know, the step by step process in order to uh, achieve a profitable project. And I'm also going to go into one or two of the deals that went sideways and didn't do particularly well and why that was so that we can kind of analyze the mistakes made and things of that nature. The idea just being that you guys will come away from the boot camp feeling like you're um, uh, more knowledgeable now and that you've got some value from it. Um, I'm also going to be talking about the steps I took in making appointments of professionals and how I valued the land before I purchased it. If you remember, for those of you who've been listening to the podcast from the beginning, way back a couple of good few months ago at this stage, I mentioned that I was going to have a, a webinar on um, teaching people how to value property and to, you know, how the wor- how it works with the yield and all of that kind of stuff, which can be quite complicated. And so I'm going to be going into that in this boot camp as well. So if you guys are interested in the boot camp and attending, then please find the link to the meetup group. It's called Behind the Facade Community in meetup.com. And also I'm going to be putting it out on the newsletter. So sign up to the newsletter by going to gavinjgallagher.com forward slash go. Now, today's guest, I'm going to get into it, but first I just want to mention that with all of these episodes that I'm putting out, I try to find a balance between um, finding good advice for people who are just starting out and then finding advisors and experts and stuff who are really at the top of their game, you know, leaders in the world and therefore could be very useful to um, to be listened to by somebody who's far more experienced. So it's a it's you know it's trying to find a balance between stuff that is good for beginners and stuff that is good for real experts that already know their stuff and they're trying to find something new. So today is one of the latter. Um, it's a guy that is probably at the top of the um, the venture capital market for prop tech and real estate invest or real estate innovation. And um, his name is Aaron Block. And uh, this guy is somebody that I came across back in 2017. And he, uh, you know, it's around about the time that I was involved in mentoring people in the prop tech space. And there was a, a lady that I was mentoring and she was she called me up and she said it was all excited that she was actually got a, a chance to pitch to Aaron, who was going to be in Dublin for the night. And she wanted to know, would I come along because I was advising her and therefore it would be, 
you know, useful for me to be there as well. So I went along and she actually ended up getting caught up in some sort of, I can't remember what it was, but she was delayed for an hour or two. And so I met Aaron and we just sat down and we had a beer basically in, in his hotel in Dublin. And we were shooting the breeze, waiting for this person to arrive. And I just found the guy really, really um, interesting person. Um, like very, very obvious success story. Um, he's done an awful lot in his life. Like all of us, he's had his challenges. I mean, he, he mentions it in today's podcast. And um, what I, so the funny thing is, here's a little example. I actually did a Google before I met him. I wanted to kind of prepare myself for who I was going to meet. So I did a little Google on uh, Aaron and I popped and, and I popped this uh, article on an interview and the journalist was clearly slightly against him or had this preconceived notion about Aaron right from the start because I came away from reading that article with not an entirely positive picture of the person I was going to meet. And so um, it was very, very interesting for me to go and meet him and just have this great discussion and come away saying, wow, I really like that guy. What the hell was that journalist writing about? Because I didn't get any of that sort of negative. So it just shows you, you have to be careful what you read and that sometimes journalists kind of have, a, an, a, you know, at their own personal agenda and it doesn't always come across as entirely correct. Anyway, so without getting into too much and dragging this thing on for too long, I thought I would just introduce um, Aaron. Aaron runs a company called Metaprop. He's one of the founders himself and his two business partners, and he'll go into that uh, during today. Um, But he has been all around the world. He spent some time in Russia. He speaks a little bit of the Russian, uh, like myself, and he is a very, very well got and well respected in the prop tech world. And um, I actually made a video a couple of years ago. Those of you who are are following my YouTube channel, Gavin J. Gallagher, will have possibly seen the top 10 uh, influencers, uh, prop tech influencers. Uh, I think it was 2018 when I put that video out or maybe, yeah, I think it was 2018. And I featured Aaron in there as well. And um, it's it's just great to be able to kind of meet the guy, have a, uh, have a conversation and then really get into a lot of the stuff going on in that world. Because mark my words, technology is going to transform this industry. And we are, uh, as, as Aaron is going to get into today, we are only at the beginning of this, even though it's now starting to show some serious momentum and gains and and these guys have created big funds and raised, you know, billions at this stage. And they're investing in a lot of different companies. I think they've invested in over 130 companies now. And across all sectors of the property industry, prop tech, and, um, and also across the world. So they're investing in Asia and Europe as well, even though they are a New York-based fund. They are distributed throughout the world. And um, anyway, without further ado, I am going to introduce you guys to my conversation with Aaron Block. Okay, so Aaron Block, welcome to the podcast. It's good to see you again, my friend. Yeah, thanks so much. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Not at all. I think it was 2018 or something like that. You were in Dublin and you were staying in the hotel and we got to meet and chat for, for about an hour, which was, uh, was good. And um, you have some great stories that we're going to get into today. But I just thought for the purpose of, um, of the audience that are listening and maybe don't know who you are, can you give us just a little bit of a uh, backstory to yourself and, uh, and uh, let, let people kind of understand who you are and where you come from? Sure. Terrific, Evan. Thank you. Um, so as you and I spoke about when we got together in uh, beautiful Dublin a couple of years ago, I uh, grew up in and around the real estate business originally after uh, graduating from undergraduate studies. And I ended up with Cushman Wakefield and uh, then transferred out to the New York office to work under the what was then becoming the CEO's team, former team uh, in the commercial brokerage and um, agency capacity. And it was kind of uh, uh, the young the young fella in a, in a brave new world in New York. I didn't know many people and uh, I didn't have much else to do other than try and make my mark through working. So I put my head down and uh, found some relatively uh, uh, good success as a young 
um, uh, uh, you know, kind of salesman, if you will, in the space and was with a great group and learned a lot, a very challenging environment coming through September 11th in New York City and beyond. And uh, we, we really started to build up a practice. At about the same time, uh, Cushman was going on an international shopping spree. It had a partnership with Helene Baker that became a formalized acquisition. And then they were growing into other parts of Europe at the time and buying up affiliate offices, making them wholly owned. And they did that with, uh, with the Russia office, uh, Kazakhstan and Ukraine, those markets. And uh, as part of the ad acquisition, they, they needed to send out some folks to help build that business. So uh, I was... Uh, uh, sent out to uh, be based in, in Moscow for four years, building up Cushman and Wakefield's Eastern European presence, which was a, a tremendously fun and uh, career stretching um, opportunity and uh, really got me back to my entrepreneurial roots of building and growing businesses. And we had a great time. The market was very hot. Um, and I was the youngest partner in Cushman Wakefield's history at that point, uh, in my late 20s, um, uh, which was pretty proud of. My grandmother was particularly proud of that. Gavin, um, my, my wife at the time got pregnant while we were living out there and we'd gotten married and all of these great things, uh, but she really wanted to be back uh, in the US. And uh, fortunately enough, uh, the, the repatriation opportunity happened that uh, the Chicago office, and Chicago's be where I, where I had grown up originally, uh, for Cushman needed a leader. So they brought me in to be the kind of number two guy there and kind of take over the reins over the next several years. Um, as the as the head of the Chicago Midwest business for Cushman Wakefield, so I moved back from Europe into that soft landing, which was great. Uh, it wasn't a role that I was particularly cut out for in middle management in a in a terrible market. If you can imagine, 2009 in the United States in the real estate world wasn't a, wasn't a happy property world. So we you know uh, we moved uh, uh, you know a lot of people on in that business, and it was a it was a challenging time uh, that we fought through. I wasn't very good at the job. And uh, we agreed to part ways. And, you know, I had built up a nest egg over those years of, of working really hard. And I wanted to build something for myself at that point and started looking for companies to invest in and help grow, which was really what I love to do. And, uh, you know, I had good real estate contacts and property world relationships at that, at that time and, and started negotiating on, on several kind of lower middle market acquisition opportunities. And lo and behold, one of those uh, opportunities that I had invested in at that time was a was an e-commerce business that had nothing to do with property. So I joined one of these companies that I had made this investment in that had nothing to do with property. Uh, they were selling and shipping U.S. merchandise to consumers, believe it or not, back in Eastern Europe. And the business was on fire and I joined the board meeting and started raising more money for the company. And we realized we were really onto something. So lo and behold, I jumped in and started building that business with the uh, with the founders almost as a late stage co-founder. And I joined a CEO and we built that into one of the biggest e-commerce businesses for Russia, Kazakhstan and Ukraine, which was great because I was able to reconnect with all of the old world in Europe um, and all my old friends and partners and business connections. And uh, we really grew that business um, uh, quickly. We were eBay's partner uh, for, for those markets. And as that business uh, uh, continued to grow, uh, you know, I really started to learn the the tech and e-commerce world and how to raise money and how to deal with venture capitalists. And that really kind of started to fill in other aspects of my life beyond the property world, uh, which was really intellectually stimulating and stretching for me. And then uh, um, we sold that business off in 2014. Uh, Putin had invaded Ukraine. So my dreams of you know selling the business for gajillions of uh, USD and uh, retiring on my yacht in the Mediterranean somewhere in the Caribbean uh, did not come to fruition. I still had to work. I, I, you know, I still had some money. I still had to work and, and I was still relatively young and had a lot of fire in the belly. I was back in the East Coast near my uh, children's grandparents and uh, had to figure out what I wanted to do with my life for the third version of my career, Gavin. And that was uh, trying to figure out something at the intersection of my two previous careers, which were the property business and the, and the, and the tech business. And lo and behold, as circumstances would find us, I got introduced to my partner now, Zach Ahrens, who was the top angel investor in the prop tech world. I mean, prop tech wasn't even a word at that point. And, uh, and we started to, to, to think about and ideate around opportunities to really do something special and, and change, change, the, change the real estate world, which really needed some changing at that point. So, you know, that's kind of the higher calling of how Metaprop came about, my, my current business um, uh, with Zach. And we founded it in, in late 2014, really started in 2015 uh, with, a, with a vision of becoming the kind of connected tissue between the various stakeholder groups 
that existed, particularly in New York, but also beyond in the diaspora, um, you know, industry, startups, venture capitalists, enthusiasts, media, institutions like universities and others that really weren't coming together to help move this industry forward. So um, we kind of put our place, uh, planted a flag and built around that. And over the years, that's led us into what we do today, which is venture capital. Um, you know, we're the top VC globally in the prop tech space. We've done 127 investments, uh, um, primarily focused on North American prop tech. We've done some Asian and, and European investments over the years. And, um, you know, we're a team of 13. We're based in New York, but uh, we're, we're we're a distributed team with a virtual work environment. So uh, we've got folks in Seattle and Southern Southern Florida, soon to be Texas and across the, the tri-state area. And um, yeah, we try to uh, try to support the great prop tech entrepreneurs early on in their journey, uh, usually idea through series A investments and then, and then flood them with resources and help them grow. Some of those resources come from our activities, access to capital, access to customers, strategy, communications, PR, HR work. Um, to, to support their growth. But uh, part of it also comes from our, our investor base. You know, we invest our own capital in the funds, but also that of uh, a lot of limited partners and those limited partners uniquely to Metaprop are the owners and managers of 20 billion square feet around the world. Um, oh, huge. Names, yeah. um, um, that you might recognize, uh, uh, you know, Prudential or CBRE um, uh, or Mitsui Fudosan in Asia. So we've got a great platform and mousetrap to really give entrepreneurs a competitive advantage as a as an investor early on in their journey that other folks don't. And uh, we're always hunting for great uh, great opportunities and, and and folks whom we can back and 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 try and help grow their businesses. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, that's a great, uh, great back uh, introduction and uh, backstory. I wanted to take it back just a bit and ask you, were there any influences, uh, you know, particular individuals or influences that kind of steered you in your early years, uh, say kind of when you were kind of in your formative years, like coming into university and stuff, were there any particular characters or, you know, people that were of an influence? Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I'm 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 not the sharpest tack, so uh, I'll use all the brains I've got and borrow as many as I can. I think that's Woodrow Wilson's quote that I'm butchering there. But uh, I've always I've always kind of solicited a lot of help and try and take as much of it as I as I can. Uh, my father's always been one of my closest uh, business advisors and mentors, which has been really great. I grew up uh, getting to observe him in his CEO roles um, and growing his businesses. Um, um, uh, which was great exposure as a young man uh, who was who business oriented and he continues to be a great advisor and coach uh, for, for our group uh, here today. You know, there were there were um, uh, leadership roles that I had as a young man uh, growing up, you know, young adult and, and, and throughout my high school and university years, you know, I, I can think specifically of, of uh, you know, was, I ran a radio station in high school and, uh, and the advisor uh, there, Del Kennedy, was really an uh, important person uh, in, in, in my growth and life and leadership. I think in college, the, the man who now runs the uh, foundation for the national fraternity that I was a member of uh, called Alpha Epsilon Pi, his name's Andy Borans, really learned a lot of lessons uh, from him early in the business world. I think the list could go on and on and on. Um, yeah. It's just, it's great to have some sort of mentor, isn't it? It just oh, it, it helps terrific, so much. Terrific. Yeah. yeah I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate to be able to have gotten some some nice breaks, like most folks along the way. Um, and a lot of those breaks were created by people who didn't need to support me or give me opportunities, uh, but who went out of their way to do so. So, you know, I, I really do try my best to to pay to pay it back and to pay it forward to others uh, who are in need of help. Can't always do it, of course. Right, we have limited uh, hours in the day, but I've I've been given so much help along the way on my journey. Um, um, that is manifested as most people will call luck, um, that I, I really feel it my duty uh, to, to, to give some of that back. Yeah, that's great. Um, I wanted to, before we move into the, pro, into the Metaprop kind of stuff, I just wanted to ask you, um, you spent some time in Moscow, four years, and um, that's a little bit, we, you and I have a kind of shared connection as far as my, my partner speaks uh, fluent Russian, or she's, she's born kind of Russian speaker. And, uh, and so I'm learning a bit of the language myself. And I have a little daughter who's four years old and speaks fluent Russian with her mom, you know. And um, for, for anyone who's thinking about going off to kind of far-flung far kind of exotic locations like Moscow or, or Beijing or any of that kind of stuff, do you have any advice for those kind of um, 
for anyone thinking of doing that? Is it worth yeah, it? Yeah, do it. I say stretch yourself, right? I mean, you, you, I, from all the readings that I've done in my life, Gavin, I don't know about you, but it seems like you only regret the chances you don't take. Yeah, and for sure. A chance to expand your world and learn new cultures and meet new people. Yeah, for me, it was uh, a really life-defining experience. Um, and so, you know, not being afraid to, to, to get out of your get out of your small world and open up into a bigger world can can lead to as one of my mentors at Cushman at the time when I was trying to figure out if I should do it said to me, you know, it's it's not it's not the things that we can see that are going to be the biggest benefits, the things you have no idea that are coming that come to you when you when you go to a, a new land and a new world and, and build a new and, and build a new life that 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 will end up being the benefits. And he was absolutely right. I remember that uh, John Coppage was that fellow's name who ran international for Cushman and Wakefield at the time. It's, I, you know, my mind has been blown about the opportunities that came to me only because of that stretching that I that was yeah. risks that I chose to take. And it's not always a comfortable decision to go and do that either. So it's you are stretching yourself by doing it. You know, it's some people would, you know, they're not going to jump immediately to go off to somewhere like Moscow or something like that. But I do think it's worth, you know, taking that jump, taking that leap of faith as such. Yeah, yeah, I, I strongly encourage the people who, who who have the opportunity to 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 think think carefully about it. Now, I must say, with with all respect to myself, you know, I moved as uh, almost like a corporate relocation, right? So I moved from um, several years of depth within a family almost to another branch of the family, which makes for a much softer landing than from someone who just goes entirely. So maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, taking too much credit for the risks that I've taken, uh, particularly in that move. In fact, if you think back to it, I actually think my move from Chicago to New York was a bigger, riskier move than my move from, wow. from New York to Moscow. So, I, you know, I've played both sides, but either way, I think, I think you know, you know uh, step first, find the net, you know, yeah. later yeah. is kind of a, a good plan. Great. Well, getting into the formation of Metaprop, uh, and obviously you guys, um, you were the first guys, like even before the term PropTech existed, you were you were doing this. So were there challenges to, like being a pioneer can be kind of difficult at times. Did you, what were the kind of major struggles that you guys had at the outset? Yeah, there were, there were some smart people playing around in the space and there were bits and bats of things. Pi Labs in the UK had had existed um, just after my partner Zach had started investing and, 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 and the National Association of Realtors in Chicago had some stuff uh, going, um, you know, but really those were early days um, and the world was, was just starting to, to, come, to come together. Um, so, so, you know, being a part of that process of an industry developing before our eyes has been very has been very very rewarding you know and it started with a flux of of even more innovation you know there were a bunch of innovators but you really had to be in on the joke you know needed to know where to look um, and even then you know if you wanted to place bets or pilot or test you know it was hard to know how to do it so you know, you really had to be a super insider and spend a lot of time. Uh, and one of the things we wanted to change was that fact. We wanted to make it right. more accessible. We wanted to democratize the ability of everyone who wanted to participate and support the ecosystem to have a chance to do so. So in those early years, a lot of our efforts, you know, weren't spent building a venture capital business. They were built, spent, it's cliche, but building an ecosystem, right? Yeah. Getting those disparate stakeholders together programmatically and perennially to be in a situation where they can not just help themselves and get utility, but that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts that we're really creating the interconnected, we like to say the connective tissue that allows uh, the development of an industry. And we had to learn how to do that from scratch. So, we, you know, we, 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 we didn't have an original thought. I don't think uh, we just, you know, interviewed folks who had done that kind of web building um, and, and community development uh, in, in, a, in a hyphen tech space. You know, we looked at fintech, we looked at ed tech, we looked at health tech, we looked at media tech, you know, other folks had been doing this for several years and we tried to pick best practices and, and you know, it started with an accelerator was one of the main ways we were able to do that. You know, right team, right place, right time, uh, right opportunity, right partners, you know, and we brought the real estate board and the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors and Zillow and some of these early players all together. 
um, to, 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 to really, you know, kind of support the mentors who were leaning in with their personal time. And, and we were able to get some great startups to kind of take that first leap. Some of them performing very well, even today, you know, I look back, you know, how lucky we were to have, have a great first batch. Um, and, and, you know, all of those pieces came together, Gavin, to really yeah. catalyze the space and, and give us a platform to continue trying to change the world. So, you know, it was a lot of hard work in those early years uh, for not, you know, any financial reward, really. Um, um, it was a heavy investment for us, but one that has been over time very rewarding and allowed us to build our presence as the top VCs. Right. And tell me this, I mean, the, the split between Accelerator and VC, I mean, how much work goes into one or the other? I presume the VC is where is the bread maker. And so that's where the, the primary focus is. is. Would that be correct or wrong? Yeah. So for, for us, the Accelerator was never a money-making, you know, endeavor, but, but really a labor of love you know, something that takes up a lot of time and effort because we want to do it right. You know, we're a pretty high integrity group and, um, you know, an accelerator is only as good as its leadership. Uh, I've learned um, over the years, you know, you can have a really, really good accelerator with one great person leading it and you can have uh, an absolutely horrendous experience for a lot of stakeholders, uh, even with big names involved, if you don't have the right folks, uh, you know, kind of day in, day out putting the wins on the board. So I've learned over, over time that it's a lot of effort. And if you want to do it, you got to do it uh, quite seriously and you can't delegate uh, too much of it. You got to, you got to really own it. So um, it's been a lot of work, it, it, you know, as a percentage of what we do, it's gone down to a very small percentage. You know, we're, we're a much larger team now. We have various interests. But in those early years, you know, we, we had an accelerator before we even had our, our, our first fund to fund those accelerator companies. Um, the accelerator concept predated our idea of, 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 of pulling together our like-minded investors into our first fund strategy. So, you know, you went from hundred percent of what we do now, I would say it's, you know, it's, it's, it's far less than 10% of, right, of, right. Uh, of the work, you know, hours wise, people wise that goes in. Uh, but when we do it again in 2021, you better believe during that period of time that it's active, it, it borrows a tremendous amount of, of human capital and thought leadership from the firm in order to do it well. Um, and we're really proud of that uh, investment that we make in it. And, and, you know, we wouldn't do it if we didn't feel like we were able to generate the utility for those same sets of stakeholders, industry, mm. the startups, the venture capital world, the institutions, um, the industry players, uh, you know, like the associations and the like. Um, uh, and so we're going to make sure again in 2021 that we, that we, that we put those wins on the board and have a lot of fun doing it, uh, even though it's a tiny piece of our, of our time commitment today. Tell me the, um, uh, the impact, I, I get the impression that COVID-19 has acted like an accelerant to many tech companies. Um, would that be your impression is how does, has it impacted your business? Yeah, so it's wiped out several several companies in the space, and will continue. You know, I don't think real estate has been passed over. Um, uh, you know, compared to other markets uh, and industries here, you know, it's a, been a tough run for a lot of people, and I think we need to acknowledge that first and foremost. And we've had some portfolio companies that have had to pivot into new spaces, or that have had trouble raising capital, at least at their uh, previous expectations as far as valuations or the speed or the size of the rounds. So there's definitely been an effect, um, and and you know the real estate market is under is under stress. You know, retail is under stress for a long time, um, but now it can be joined uh, certainly by hospitality, um, yeah. and and many folks are really feeling the pinch in, in offices. Um, although that you know most of the single family, multifamily, built to rent stuff has kind of come back and stabilized quite a bit. People are very very concerned about the future of hospitality and the future of office right now. Um, so, so the real estate world has been squeezed. That being said, that squeeze in this cycle has really pushed um, and catalyzed a move to innovation as the first response. Um, you know, there's been generational changes. There's been the institutionalization of prop tech over the last several years. There's been these carnival barkers like me 
if you will, over the years, trying to draw attention to innovation and tech in the space. And, you know, I think we get some credit, uh, uh, but not much. I think that, you know, it was long overdue. And uh, all of those factors combined have really led to a catalyzation of growth of innovation and tech um, being responses that are quite natural to both good and bad forces on the real estate ecosystem here. So overall, I'd say it's been a net gain. We have companies that are really supercharged growing through all of this. Um, we have companies that are doing fairly well. Um, and, and the few that are struggling, you know, I, I think are more the exception to the rule. So it's been a very net positive here. And we continue to do deals. We continue to fund new companies as, as well as support our existing companies' growth. I was going to ask you the, um, I mean, since you've gotten involved in the tech sector and all that kind of stuff, have you gone through any major sort of mindset shifts or, you know, in, in terms of your view on the real estate market? Um, did you have like preconceived notions and then suddenly now you've changed? Is there, what, what would stand out as a major shift? You know, I was always very, very skeptical of co-working as a business model um, and, and, and by extension co-living. Um, you know, I thought they were, they were important concepts, but as far as standalone businesses, I was, I was very skeptical. You know, I've really reformed my mindset. Um, you know, I, I think we work taught me a lot. Uh, I was very skeptical for a long time. I sold a co-working business prior to starting Metaprop uh, with a friend um, as a strategic advisor. So, I, you know, I got pretty deep into the space and, 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 and this kind of Uberization of space, I've really come around to it being, you know, it is possible to have standalone businesses, uh, you know, not, not, not the $40 billion we work vision of it. I don't think, um, yeah. I think that was well beyond feasibility, but, but uh, you know, it's not just the concepts that are changing the way we work. There, there are businesses to be built around them. I, let me say this. I don't know how many of those businesses should be venture funded, but uh, nevertheless, there are some there are some good solid businesses to be built in and around the 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 Uberization of space um, in ways that I, I didn't quite buy early on. So there's there's a there's a good example of Aaron being Aaron being wrong. Um, I'm I'm frequently wrong, Gavin. You know, my partner Zach Aaron's is really the I call him the high priest or the oracle of prop tech. He sees the future better than most. And, you know, I'm I'm more like as we say, Debbie Downer. Oh, that's not going to work. Oh, no one's going to be able to build that. Oh, that's a terrible idea. Oh, that team can never break through. You look at all the look at look at the look at the bodies. You know, uh, aligning the battlefield of 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 old. Um, uh, but one way or another, we come. He usually brings me around. And we come to uh, some consensus uh, in investment committee, and we end up backing these visionary entrepreneurs. And, and you know, in retrospect, I'm damn glad I did. Yeah, yeah but I, I feel badly for Zach and Zach and the rest of the investment team because sometimes along the way, I'm just shaking my head. You know, being the old stick in the mud. Well, that's yeah. Somebody's got to do it, don't they? I was actually going to ask you about a tweet I saw Zach put out there last week, and it was thanking the VC industry for saying the real estate and construction market is too small to warrant investment. And he says it's made my job so much easier. And I just wanted to know your view on, like, as a as a subsector of the sort of industry, how far do you think prop tech has to go? Do you think you know that we're only at the beginning, or you think it's it's seen some some pretty good growth in the last few years? Yeah, I'd say you know we 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 talk in American um, baseball terms uh, when we when we make the analogy. We we tend to say that the transformation of the industry is probably in about the third inning right now out of nine innings. Right. Um, so maybe a third of our way, you know, and, uh, and that, that's, that's, that's pretty far along from where we started only a few years ago. So that's, that's some, some tremendous work, but I think these next few years are really going to be telling um, as we come through the crisis here and we see, um, uh, you know, the industry players and the institutionalization and, and see how fast we move through these middle innings, you know, these kind of four, five and six. Um, but uh, there's a there's a long way to go. Right. I, you know, yeah. probably seven to 10 years till we start to look and feel more like financial services looks and feels like today. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. Um, where, you know, none of us really go to bank branches anymore. Right. Uh, very few people are trading through intermediaries now. Right. That's um, true. Or, yeah. uh, uh, you know, the, the whole the whole financial services industry has been upended. Right. The jobs that were existed years ago don't don't exist anymore. So real estate is still has years to go before we come through to the other side. So it's still a very exciting time. Um, in this, you know, kind of end of the first period, beginning of the second period of, of our of our sophistication and transformation. It's exciting, all right. I mean, yeah, because some people say, oh, you know, it's it's too late to get into the prop tech party. Far from it, I think. Good, keep them out. Yeah. Um, on the on that topic, trends and predictions. Um, you know, there's so many different areas of the of this of the prop tech sector. You know, you've got um, well between. Uh, tokenization of property and then you've got you know the ar and the vr and you know there's just so many different aspects sensors and iot and everything like that which particular sort of sector do you think is is going to show the, the greatest growth or have you got any ideas on trends and stuff yeah i'm particularly interested in construction tech myself um i think there's still a long way to go there um there's a lot of money to be saved there's a lot of lives to be protected um and, uh, and and it's a it's a high profile way to showcase some of the industry's innovations. You know, construction always grabs your eye on the skyline, right? For sure. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about some of the technologies coming out of Europe. Uh, you know, Tel Aviv, uh, North America, um, uh, around construction tech. I'm really excited about this kind of middleware and API. You know, kind of the stripe of prop tech layer of technologies that are being built, um, um, technologies that enable another other technologies kind of play. Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about, about that, um, uh, for, for the, for the next several years. Um, you know, we've done a lot in the computer vision, um, uh, space over the last several years. I think there's, there's more to go, maybe not as much, but there's more to go there you know, using, using uh, video and inexpensive camera technologies to be able to, you know, uh, apply machine learning algorithms and, and make predictive decisions that actually allow uh, actionable outcomes for, for owners, managers, financiers, property owners. That, that's, that's really exciting still to this day. And there are just so many business processes that need automation still, a whole bunch of back of the house work and accounting, um, uh, that, that we're, you know, investing in, in, you know, change orders. And, and there's just so many aspects of this complex multi-trillion dollar market that are in need of, of improvement. There's, 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 there's pockets of billion dollar opportunities sitting there waiting to be exploited. And not all of it is, you know, kind of sexy robots building buildings, right? Some of yeah. it is not so sexy back of the house accounting technology. But there know. lies the, the gold, yeah. There you go. Low-hanging fruit, as you say. The, yes, um, yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you, I mean, I've seen those, some of those videos that really stand out for me are, um, you know, Boston Dynamics has their, their, their robots doing acrobats and, you know, jumping upside down and stuff. And you could see a robot, you know, construction team actually at some point in the future being possible. But it is kind of far-fetched kind of uh, as a concept now, whereas what you're talking about is the kind of low hanging fruit. It's, it's the stuff that people are sitting over a piece of paper, crunching numbers for hours and that can all be automated or returned into something. Um, in terms of your, you've got a lot of founders that you kind of advise and things like that. But as you've watched these guys come in front of you and the guys that have gone on to great success, have, is there any traits in particular that you've spotted in people that, that you know have gone on to great things? What would you say are the, are the number one traits that kind of immediately become obvious to you that there's somebody who's going places? Yeah, I've really seen a pattern um, of folks who who are who are fast and aggressive business builders from both within and without uh, industry. You don't have to have come from real estate to be successful in real estate, but some of the characteristics that make people uh, successful in real estate, the ability to build uh, trust, long cycle um, uh, environments, um, um, be able to um, build relationships um, and to be very aggressive 
uh, in their growth. Um, you know, that doesn't come natively necessarily to folks who come from, you know, an ad tech background, but it doesn't mean that someone who doesn't have the, as my grandmother would have said, chutzpah to be able to do so couldn't be successful in this very much still greenfield opportunity of prop tech. But you do see a lot of folks who do come from industry who have come from um, not so differently than myself, brokerage-like backgrounds where, where, where they, they can find ways to grow very aggressively, but within the new paradigm of tech that has been, that has been quite successful. Um, and I can think of several examples of folks. Um, um, but uh, I can also think of those similar types of characteristics of, of long-term relationships, aggressive growth-oriented mentalities around technology for folks who came from media. Um, or folks uh, who, who came from construction. Um, um, uh, you know, we've got one portfolio company I'm thinking of, CEO, who, who you know, was a civil engineer and uh, uh, um, a computer vision PhD, right? I and mean, this is not someone you would expect to come out with that get up and go take over the world, but uh, he and his company called OnSiteIQ have done a terrific job. Of, of that same type of aggressive growth, um, but with long-term relationships in mind that have, have shown uh, success. So I think, you know, it's there to grab, but you have to go out and grab it with, with a little bit of zeal and gusto uh, that may not necessarily be as required in some different areas. Interesting. Um, one of the questions I had actually um, that I skipped over when we were talking about the, um, the trends and predictions is the idea of a, of a singular kind of dashboard, like a, a single point that people would interact with their buildings. One of the issues that I have, I keep on getting incoming emails all the time from people who want to sell me something and it's got a dashboard. And I'm thinking if I sign up to all these things, I'll have 15 dashboards that I need to log into. Do you see any future of like a single point, like, you know, uh, one, one company control all type of um, situation when it comes to the interface with buildings? Yeah. Yeah. It's coming and, but there's no clear and established, uh, winner for that in a very fragmented, uh, localized market. Um, we have a couple of folks who are developing uh, technologies for owners and managers in particular. Um, you know, in Asia, you're seeing switch automation gain a lot of traction and being, um, you know, kind of an integrator of dashboards into a single place uh, for sensors and information and controls in the built environment. North America, one of our companies called Enertiv has also done quite well um, there. Um, that there are other players like Nantum, um, uh, you know, that the Rudens helped found, um, and several and several others who are, who are attempting to be the main players. I think uh, you know a lot of it's going to depend on what the uh, building access control world. Uh, ends up uh, 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 consolidating or growing into. So the Honeywells of the world, folks like that castle and others, um, I think a lot of it may have also um, to do with what happens with the co-stars and the VTSs and the other emerging winners in the tech space and, and how fast their product lines evolve beyond their existing offerings. Um, it's an interesting place to watch. So I think um, uh, be still, it will come to you. I don't know if, if, if you're going to have to invent it. Uh, I can't say I see the exact path of it yet, but I do know, I do sense that it's coming and it will, it will be here in, 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 in this next cycle, potentially. One of the questions that I, uh, I put to some of your uh, other influencer names, you're, you're in my uh, mind as one of the prop tech influencers that I created a video about a couple of years ago. And yourself and uh, Anthony Slumbers and, uh, and Duke Long were listed in that same group. And I've had all of them on the podcast now, including yourself now. So, But one of the questions I asked each of them was the view on the, the office sector in terms of since COVID-19 came along, you've got so many days at home, so many days in the office, so many days in flex. There's all of these different views on where the market is going to arrive at. You know, People are saying work from home is just going to be 
the way it's all done nowadays. And I don't for one believe that, but I do think that it, now that it's introduced into the market, a lot of people are going to expect to spend a couple of days at home and then go into the office for the, the social aspect and mingling with your co- co- co-workers and stuff. What's your view on where this is going and where is it, is there a place for flex office in that? So um, without question, expectations have moved around who needs to be in the office, how frequently they want to be in the office and, um, and, 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 and the permissiveness of management and leadership, including myself, uh, things have changed tremendously in less than a year. So I have to say that we've been forced to change. That being said, we're not living in a real world right now. Uh, for the most part, business travel is severely curtailed and that's not going to stay that way. I do not believe that, uh, that Zoom will replace the handshake um, uh, anytime soon, uh, particularly for, for uh, things of importance where money is on the line, um, and deals are being made and new opportunities are being sought, which, which is really what drives a lot of the economy. Um, uh, and economic growth for uh, for for many um, uh, nations in the world. So I think um, it's 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 important to think about uh, a return to to business travel and how that's going to affect what I call FOMO, uh, fear of missing out. Um, I didn't make up that acronym, obviously, but <laughs> I do believe it is not getting enough attention when deals and handshakes and dinners are being made and business is being done under normal circumstances in places like New York. There is going to be a human need to be around the action um, uh, when Broadway opens up again, right when the restaurants are full. These are these are going to have huge implications in places like New York that are currently easy to pass by. You can easily not go into Manhattan, for example, now, go into an office um, uh, for months at a time. Uh, but those days are limited. You know, uh, we are we are only a couple of months away from from things starting to starting to uh, be shiny toys again that will lead us to those interactions. And I think it's really going to be a human need that brings people together um, going going forward. I, I think uh, you know the pendulum has swung uh, way too far um, uh, sure. beyond. Uh, you know, what I think is is kind of the steady state, but the steady state has moved from a hundred percent office centric, you know, maybe Friday's work from home to, to, to something where everybody's remote all the time and has no problem doing it. There's going to be a middle ground, um, call it hybrid um, and co-working uh, is going to play a role uh, in it and flexible office space will, will certainly play a role in it um, and communication and technology will play will play a big role in it but the office is here to stay and will be for a long time and i think if you're someone who thinks a lot about location 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 you're probably going to win the day even through this type of uh, yeah. uh, upset of the apple curtain yeah for sure and, and I, I think back to 9-11 september 11th back 2001 i, I was in the U.S. at the time, and I can remember everyone was talking about, oh, you know, no one will ever fly again, and there was all of this kind of doomsday stuff, and it did last for a, a year or two, but then everyone returned to travel just the same as every, you know, it, it always bounces back. It's just it takes a little bit of time for the psyche to kind of change. Um, Aaron, last question. Um, thanks so much for being here today. Just what advice would you give your 20-year-old self if you were sitting in front of you here today? My 20-year-old self, Gavin. That's the question. Wow, I have to think back. That's a long time ago. Number yeah. One. yeah. I'd be in university at the time. A cocky young son of a bitch, that's for sure. Um, uh, I, I think I think most likely I would tell myself to pay a little bit more attention to the academics um, and to the opportunities afforded to me in, in one of the top engineering universities of the world. Um, I, I totally let that pass me by in four years at undergrad. Um, I did not get integrated or exposed to the engineering school at the University of Illinois um, and, and that world. I didn't uh, get integrated much into the business school there either, which was also one of the top tier public university schools. I was really focused on, on just getting through my coursework and, 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 and building my career around um, and at the same time. 
as I was working my way through school uh, part-time as well. So I think I, I probably would have, you know, smelled the coffee, smelled the roses a little bit more about what was uh, available to me. And I would have planted some seeds and built some connectivity and some depth and leveraged some of the relationships and resources um, that I think would have given me a bit more of a catalyst uh, uh, when I graduated and started in my career and had moved to New York in the first place. I would have found more points of connectivity and more opportunities and more doors open because of it. So uh, um, uh, that would have probably been my, my, my number one piece of advice. My number two would have been take more risk. Yeah, a lot of people say that, all right, take more risks. All right. Well, Aaron, thanks so much for your time. And um, uh, if somebody would like to, you know, follow your different thoughts and stuff like that, is there any particular channel that they should follow social or any of that kind of stuff? Do you have any? Yeah, I think uh, if you go to metaprop.vc and sign up for our newsletter, you'll get a good flavor of what's going on in our minds here at Metaprop and some of the important um, uh, topics that we're reading about or great blogs um, or, or or podcasts or videos that we're watching or listening to, including your own. Um, and so I think that's probably the shortest distance between two, two points. Great. Okay. Well, look forward to that. And I hope uh, that uh, business travel gets back so you and I can meet and have another beer sometime. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. Miss hanging out with you. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for chasing it down. And I wish you lots of luck uh, in Ireland. We miss your beautiful country and I look forward to spending time there and having you here soon. Thanks a lot, Aaron. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mr. Aaron Block. Um, the company, again, is called Metaprop uh, NYC, and you'll find links to all of that, as always, in the show notes. Also, if you're interested in that boot camp that I mentioned earlier, you'll find a link to my meetup group in the show notes as well. If you found this episode useful, I would ask you, as I always do, to please consider leaving a review or at least give me a five-star rating over on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to the podcast. It really does help uh, the algorithm. You know, the more reviews and stuff like that, the more it pushes it out to more people and just get the podcast discovered by more and more people. If you have any questions or topics you would like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via the Facebook group Behind the Facade Community or alternatively, find me on social media using the handle Gavin J. Gallagher. I'm on pretty much all social media platforms. So, you'll, you're, you know, no matter which one you're on, you're going to find me out there. Uh, if you're also interested in my events and things like that, do sign up to the meetup group and also sign up to my newsletter by going to gavinjgallagher.com forward slash go. And uh, finally, I just thought I'd wish you guys all a... Merry Christmas. By the time this episode goes out, you uh, it's going to be um, a few days before Christmas and I'll only have one final episode before the end of the year. So season one is about to wrap up and uh, I'll be starting season two in January. So until then, guys, I will speak to you all very soon. Mm-hmm.